Got good news and bad news. Bad news first. It's how long were you in the book of Revelation? It was. It's been a couple years, right? Year and a half. Year and a half. Well, I'm also going to do an entire book of the Bible today. <laughs> the good news is there are, I think, four in the New Testament books that are a single, just one chapter. So we'll be doing one of those. So you may still get home in time to get your roast out of the oven. Here's the summary, the, the name of our book. Now, some of you, if you're somewhat new to even the Bible, you may not have even ever heard of this book. It's called Philemon. Um, it's a letter. I'll give you a quick summary. The quick summary is this, this fellow by the name of Onesimus is owned by the guy who's titled in this letter, Philemon. He's owned by him, but he escapes one day. And he runs to Rome where Paul is, and then Paul writes a letter and sends with Onesimus in his possession this letter. Real quickly, uh, in deference to our brother Glenn, who is a mail carrier here in our fine city, mail in this first century was a little more complicated. You had to almost personally know someone who was going to the city in which you wanted to give a letter. You could pay maybe a soldier that was going, but it, you get the idea. It's complicated. And of all the letters, and we, we call the Apostle Paul his writings, they are letters. But this one is unique of all letters because the mail carrier's very life depends on how the recipient of that letter reads that letter. So I kind of weighted my argument, so let's go. I'm giving you the importance of it, and I'm trying to kind of play it up a little bit, because here, I'll make a bet. There's a lot of people who have been Christians for a long time. Let's all stand, those who have a memory verse from the book of Philemon. <laughs> Except for Peter. Gosh, you know more Bible than anybody I know. Um, now, uh, before we begin, there's, uh, we got to address something, which is this idea of slavery. Slavery possibly was different than what we understood in our experience with slavery, but that doesn't really solve the problem. We're still talking about slavery. Some of the criticism specifically against Paul, but I think you could maybe even say it about Jesus, is he never explicitly condemns this horrible social practice. How many of you drove here today I try to imagine maybe my great-grandchild, maybe my Frankie is a grandmother, maybe it's my great-great, and she asks her grandma, Grandma, when did people know that driving cars was going to be bad for the environment? Do you remember when you found out? Maybe sometime in, for me in the 70s or 80s, doesn't really matter. But nobody who drove here today has the illusion that driving is good for the environment, right? Would it be fair for my granddaughter to go, but why did Poppy drive his big F-150 truck if he knew that it was bad for the environment? Well, we don't completely get off the hook, but the idea being that our social structure is so integrated into driving 
that it would take a, it's going to take a very, very, very long time to unravel that. And it is true in this first century that we need to be careful a little bit about our judgment because the social fabric was so integrated into this idea of slavery. Maybe that's helpful, maybe it isn't. And the reason I, I kind of like this, this book is um, it's a very true story. And what I mean by true is it, it has the realness of life for us. I believe it contains what we call the gospel, the good news. So I'll see if I can help you see some of that. There is in this book what I would call the story of a true disciple. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. Now, let me read a little bit about this guy, Ones I mean Philemon. This is the beginning. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. And listen to how Paul talks about his friend Philemon. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Aphia, our sister. Aphia was most likely his wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now this is a real disciple, right? This is a good guy. I mean, I mean he's, a, he's a dad and he's, we can assume he's successful in life because he, well, he owned a slave. That takes some, some resources. He had a house big enough to have a church. He's got a, an intact family. He's, we get that, he's sort of pastoring the people around him. Often when we hear those words, I will admit, I sort of cringe when we're going to hear about a, a great disciple, a true disciple. It, it's, well, quietly I go, oh, crap. Another story of a great Christian. Now, I believe that all of us here have a part of our story that is a story of a great Christian, but it, it's probably a little messier than we think. Quick reminder about a true and good disciple. What is this letter about? Why was this letter created? Paul could have easily said, Oh, Nesmus, here, listen to, listen to how I know Philemon to be. He's a great guy. He's a super brother. He loves every... Don't, don't sweat it. Just go back, knock on his door. I'm sure it's going to be fine. But Paul doesn't think that. Paul doesn't know, but he holds out the possibility that Philemon could kill Onesimus, or at least severely, severely punish him. That is his right under the law. It's fair for you to ask, how can he be a great Christian? I mean, this week, 
How could I call myself a Christian? I hear that all the time, quite honestly. I hear one group is sort of lobbing a bomb to the other group, and it goes something like this. How can they call themselves Christian when they fill in the blank? We rarely would say about our team, how can we call ourselves Christians when we fill in the blank? And I'm not picking on you because everybody here has got a fill-in-the-blank, right? And I'm telling you, you can still be a great Christian. I'm not encouraging the fill-in-the-blank. I'm just saying it is our reality. And Jesus loves you no less, thinks no less of you. I just find it interesting that I think this book is prompted to protect from Philemon the life of Onesimus. I, uh, I like this. I like this story. The story of Philemon is a story of true forgiveness, real forgiveness. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Let me read for you where we pick up some of those ideas. This is Paul, of course, speaking. So if you, Philemon, consider me a partner, would you welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me? If he has done you any wrong or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. We'll talk about the little jab in there, but anyhow, you get the idea that He's asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus. This is a story. This is a story of true forgiveness. The possibility that maybe Philemon wouldn't, but he's asking him. We, because of this passage, get the sense that Onesimus, as he was exiting his imprisonment, that he maybe took a few things to sort of help along the way. He probably robbed them. Is that the end of the story of forgiveness in this book? See, I think there's some more. I don't think it's just a unilateral forgiveness of Philemon towards Onesimus. I think Onesimus has the right to ask for forgiveness from Philemon. Wouldn't Philemon have to in some way, if this plays out the way that Paul is hoping, hoping would, he, would he not need also Onesimus' forgiveness? If for nothing else, the bitterness that perhaps he has held in his heart by a guy who robbed him, both of economic opportunity and from actual stuff. And then there's another forgiveness in here. Did you, did you pick it up? Let me, let me see if I can find it. Let me, I'll, I'll look here. It's, um, oh, verse 13. You see, I think Paul is asking, or believing that Philemon sort of owes him a little apology. So what he says, I would have liked to keep him with me, this is Onesimus, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in the chains for the gospel. First century imprisonment by the Romans, somewhat similar to ours, uh, they may not have had, you know, 
sort of the elaborate jails we have, but often the prisoner would be put up at the sort of the top floor of a building. Could have been a soldier or a, you know, a high-ranking officer's home. There might have been a little quarter up there. He was often chained to, a, to another soldier. Here's the interesting part. Different from our, we sort of have a three hots in a cot idea. We actually feed our prisoners and we give them a place to sleep. But in the first century, that wasn't true. The, the imprisoners offered no food or help to the prisoner. The prisoner's sustenance and life was dependent on outside help. And as you picked up, Paul believes that Philemon sort of owes him. And Philemon was not doing anything for him. We get the idea Philemon had the resources to be able to do this, but in fact had done nothing to make Paul's imprisonment any easier. Real forgiveness is usually a little more messy. Sometimes it's completely unilateral. There's, of course, some people who are completely innocent. But most often, it's a little messier than that. We both offer forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. It's a story of what I would say is perhaps forgiveness 2.0. You see, forgiveness could sort of be just this sense within my heart, uh, sort of a moment in time which I say, okay, okay. Okay, Onesimus, who's come back and asked for forgiveness. Okay, you're forgiven. I'm not going to charge you for the stuff you stole. I'm not going to hold it against you. Now just head back on out to the field and continue to be my slave. Forgiveness 2.0 is a little more difficult. And that is the story of acceptance. We get that when Paul says to Philemon, I want you to take him back as a brother. I've shared with you before the the origin of my, my marriage to April 38 years ago. It was a what we call a shotgun wedding. And um, I remember after we found at the end of my, both of our freshman years of Bible college that she was pregnant. Oh, I'm sorry, not an immaculate conception. And, um, and I remember... I remember that having to make that phone call to her dad, who was an incredibly devout Christian man, had a reputation throughout Amarillo as an as, and in a good way. I don't mean in a false way. He was a really good, good man. And they had a great family, an unbelievable reputation. And I remember, you know, in between sobs telling him what had happened, and, and he, he wanted us to come down there right away. They lived in Amarillo. It's about an eight-hour drive, and I remember, you know, you got eight hours to anticipate, how's this going to go? And I'll, I'll shorten the story. 
I'd never been anything but a son to him. I had a very difficult relationship with my own dad in, in many, many, in almost every way you can count. Jay has been a dad to me. I sometimes tease my wife. I'm pretty sure he loves me more than you. <laughs> he accepted me. He didn't have to. Not everybody would. But the cost to his own reputation and the disappointment I'm sure he felt with his own daughter, he never took out on me. It's really interesting because, you know, again, I'm talking, I, I believe the reason I love this story, this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of God's story with us. Often we, we can sort of, if we're perhaps feeling good that day, have a sense that God has forgiven us. All right, all right. But has God accepted us? I remember I heard an author one time say, thinking about the judgment, and we've talked a lot about the judgment in, in the story of the Revelation and, and trying to picture a different way, the consuming fire of love. And, and I remember, I don't remember who it was, an author or somebody told me, said, imagine that you, know, you get to heaven and you're thinking, you know, we're all thinking, I'm gonna go to the judgment and there's Jesus and he goes, Carl, I, I, I had some expectations of you. But honestly, they were much lower than what you, I think you did way better than I was thinking. I can't, man, I lost a bet on you. Me and Peter had something going, and you did way better than I thought. That's the acceptance. In the gospel, there is a story of, the, of this marriage of law and grace. I think sometimes we, we don't speak accurately about what we call the law. I don't think the law is oppositional to grace. I think it's the beginning story of grace. But, but there's an interesting, I'm going to read this. This is an interesting passage from what we call the law. It's found in Deuteronomy 23, 15. Here's how it goes. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to the master. Now, Paul knew the law. No question, he knew that Old Testament. Is he just, you know, blatantly violating this? No, but see, Paul knew the story. Paul didn't even think of Onesimus as a slave. Paul knew that he was a brother. He knew he was a brother. Whatever word you believe describes you is probably not accurate if it does not include, I am a brother even to the Lord Jesus himself. I love this story of the gospel. This story is interesting because it is, it is the collision of the mundane and the miraculous. It looks like our lives. I remember I had a friend, I have a friend who's a, a policeman, and I asked him, what's it like to be a policeman? And he says, it is hour upon hour of unbelievable boredom, punctuated by seconds of unbelievable excitement. <laughs> and I thought, that's kind of like the way life is for a lot of us. It feels so boring. But there's moments of excitement. 
Uh, let me tell you what I mean, sort of in a s- summary. Let's go through this one more time, this story. Paul is on his missionary journey. He is doing what he does, and most likely we think he's in Ephesus. Doesn't matter, you know, he's in Ephesus, just a town. Philemon lived in Colossae. Doesn't matter if you know where that is, because you already know the story is that's not Ephesus. But somehow, on this day or in this season, Philemon has traveled to Ephesus. Now, what are the chances that as he's traveled on that particular day, Paul would be there, and Paul would be preaching or teaching, and Philemon hears the story of the good news. He's never heard a story like that, and he trusts this story. He trusts this Jesus. His life has changed. Oh, what a great story. And so he goes back to Colossae and starts his home church. And Paul, his story continues also. You see, he, he, he has appealed to the, you know, the powers in Jerusalem, the Roman powers that he gets to hear. He gets to try his case because he's a Roman citizen. He gets to be heard right there in Rome. So he takes his long trip up to Rome. Now, here's how the story, I mean, this is fascinating, isn't it? Because Onesimus runs away. Now, can you guess where he runs away to? What are the chances that of all the places he could have gone to hide, he hides in a city of thousands, thousands upon thousands of people? And in this city of thousands and thousands, you get the idea he runs into somebody and they somehow begin to have a chat. And he says, oh, listen, <laughs> there's this guy. You're not going to believe this. This guy's a, you're not going to believe He's a prisoner. But I'm telling you, he's amazing. I've never heard anybody who can say things the way he can say things. You've got to meet him. And somehow, he gets Onesimus to meet Paul. And Paul, with, I don't know if he was pre, I don't know exactly how it happened. I'm just imagining this. But somehow we know their lives come together. They intersect in some way. And get this, what are the chances Onesimus hears about this Jesus who will what? forgive you and accept you. And he trusts Jesus. Now, lots of people heard the Apostle Paul teach and lots and lots and lots of people trusted Jesus because of that. But not everybody became an intimate companion of Paul. What are the chances that Onesimus would become an intimate friend of the Apostle Paul? He's the one, we get the idea, Onesimus is the one who's going out into the market to get Paul's breakfast and dinner and bringing it back and taking care of the things he needs. He's meeting his physical needs and they become intimate. Paul says he's like my son. He has my heart. What are the chances? It gets better. It gets better. Now start thinking about it. One day Onesimus says to Paul, Paul, there's something that's really been bothering me. I don't know that I've told you the whole story, but Paul, I, uh, I, ran away f- I ran away from this guy. He was my owner. And I, when I ran away, I took some of his stuff to help pay for the trip. Paul says, uh, thank, you for, thank you for your honesty. Yeah, and this one says, yeah, you know, this guy, his name was Philemon. Paul goes, Philemon? What are you talking about? 
I know Philemon. Philemon came to Jesus when I, he and I were having a conversation and I was preaching. I know all about his church. Are you kidding me? You know Philemon. Well, of course you know him. I guess he owns you. But <laughs> Okay, are you, get, are, you, are you with me? Unbelievably miraculous. Oh my. Can you believe it? But the story doesn't end there. It gets even better. I'm, 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 verse 15. I just love this language. Paul writing again to Philemon. Philemon, perhaps the reason for all of this story, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever. Not as a slave. You can buy a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. You can't have too many dear brothers in your life. What are the chances that one day you would hear this story that seems to be too good to be true that could begin to help some way make sense of this life that you're living, that you could be forgiven for the things you don't even want to say out loud, and the God who you feared accepts you as a brother. I'd like for you to pray with me. The good news, what we call the gospel, is not the beginning of our story. It is our story. Every piece of it that was true at the beginning is true all the way to the end. Father, thanks that this tucked away tiny letter is part of this documentation of your unbelievable story. Thank you for the gift it is to us. And Father, thank you. Let's just thank you. Amen. We recreate and celebrate this story each week. Each week it it will strike you most likely in a different way. It'll have a different, I don't know, a different element, a different meaning. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't know why I always get snotty and cryy. I'm going to have somebody else come up and break the bread because that's, I just thought of that. Come on up. Would you mind coming up? Yeah, yeah. I just started, that's kind of gross. Um, I can pour. I'm clean enough for that. Thank you, Francis. You're very welcome. Have you confessed all your sins? No, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I am always happy to invite you to this moment. This moment when you feel unworthy, you go, oh, man, I, once again, 
yeah, once again, we will know the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And later, in the same way, it says he took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood which has been shed for you. I'm getting shakes. Wait, oh, oh, dark glass. Oh, yep, yep, sorry. Yep, this is, ju- this is, this is the wine. I'm just checking. So this is the wine. And in the light cup will be the juice. And we invite you to come and taste his forgiveness. So, Lord God, we thank you for, for you, because you are love. It's not even your love. That's who you are. And you revealed that to us in Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Carl just came up to me and said, I'm driving to Nebraska. Would you do the benediction? So I don't know why he's going to Nebraska, but I'm doing the benediction. And uh, during the sermon, he said, oh, yeah, you have a memory verse out of, did you see that part where he's ripping on me? I don't know that many memory verses. Really, I don't. But verse 15 has been like a memory verse for me because when I was in college, I was separated from my hot girlfriend freshman year, wondering if I should, if we should keep dating or whatever. And she was crying in her room. Doesn't normally, she she didn't usually read the Bible. And she said, God, you just got us you got to tell me something. Help me. Why are we separated? She was in Durango. I was up at CU. And she said, could you just tell me something? She opened her Bible, put her finger down on verse 15 of Philemon that says, perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. But no longer as a slave. So I can use that verse. Say, hey, woman, I'm not your slave. But because of that, I've always thought about, I've always thought about that, that verse and thought, uh, okay, maybe that's about more than just me and Susan. And some of you have been parted from things. You've been parted from loved ones. You've been parted from businesses. You've been parted from money. Perhaps you've been parted from your health. And we've all been parted from Jesus. I mean, that, and parted from God. We live in this fallen world and we wonder. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my prayer life is, what the hell? What the hell is going on? Why is life like this? And I think maybe this is God's answer. Perhaps he was parted from you for a while. Perhaps you're parted from him for a while, that, that you might have him back forever, but no longer as a slave. Remember what we talked about in the Revelation in this tree? Maybe the problem was with the way we took the good from the tree. And all along, God is longing to give us the good, but not so that the good would be our slave, but so that uh, we would be free and the good would be free. And so the people that were parted from you, the businesses, the money, the finances, perhaps this is why it was parted from you and your ego, that you might have it back forever, but no longer as a slave. You see, Father is in the business of giving you all things. He's already given you Jesus, and he gives you all things with him. So uh, Philemon, Onesimus, wherever you are in that story, believe the gospel. That's all we're saying. In Jesus' name, amen.